Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of Downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by the Managing Editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. I'd like to throw in that I've got a new title today as well. I'm a tia. Oh, so, congratulations. Hey, congratulations. As we record on Thursday, January 11th, um, my niece should be... Coming into this world. Oh, it hasn't happened. No. I think you, it's happening. She's a t- I think she's it's a, happening as we speak. <laughs> the, you can't do it until after. She's a tia and wait. It's no, happening not. now. No, stop. It has she's to happen. got the epidural and everything. Well, that's she's, a, she's in like the liminal space of tia ship. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a tia by the yet. time we exit this room, by the time this podcast publishes, oh, you the don't baby know. will be here. It could be a whole weekend. Oh, my. And also joining us is Jacob McQuinney. What's up, Jacob? This was a, a much better introduction than the first time you tried it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, coming up on the show this week, the state of the city is stronger every day, according to Mayor Todd. Gloria, that is, in his annual address, the state of the city Gloria tried to show strong numbers across the big issues in the city from homelessness, housing, and infrastructure, and he was super tough on crime. Guy does not like crime. (laughs) Wanted to make that get across. He does not like plexiglass either. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Um, uh, We'll get into our favorite moments from the big speech. Also, Lincoln High School is seeing test scores go down while graduation rates go up. Jacob will explain how those things can work. And there are student school board members, not just the elected adults. There's students, and they want not only to get paid, which they are getting paid now, but also to vote on things, and we're going to talk about that. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first, our next live podcast is on the books. We'll be at Modern Times in Point Loma on February 8th. 
There will be great food, great beer, a great show to celebrate Voice of San Diego's 19th anniversary. It will be one of our biggest shows ever. You can get your tickets now at VOSD.org slash events. Good God. 19 years? That's you what, feel super that, old now. Is that real? Yeah, that's what that's what it says in the script. You know, we were 18 last year. Apparently, Voice of San Diego is an Aquarius. <laughs> We do have a special member promo happening for the event. If you donate $65 or more, you're welcome to donate more, you become a member and you get a free mug or glass. Who doesn't love free stuff? And free entry to Brews and News. Again, that's VOSD.org slash events. Links are in the show notes. We'll see you there. All right, I have an update before we get into some stuff. Uh, the Sunbreak Ranch guys have now uh, followed up with uh, an update. They they faced a kind of barrage of of mean uh, media folks like me, you know, pointing mm. some things out, the yeah. logical flaws of their their plan to put people into a, a remote camp Ooh. in a remote area. Sometimes you can say the truth in a mean way, though. <laughs> yeah, and so they yeah. uh, <laughs> when he criticized you, your horoscope thing. <laughs> Remember, I I, uh, I had the news a couple weeks ago that uh, Brownfield, where they wanted to put the place, so they thought about doing Miramar. This, again, is a, a big camp where they would concentrate the homeless uh, population, provide services for them, and then they were going to give them a, a, a daily shuttle if they wanted to come back. Now, I had a few issues, obviously, like if people didn't want to go there, it seems like they would have to you know, get more and more sort of violent to get them there. Mm-hmm. Felt like it was just a real bad vibe around this thing. But uh, they also, the the Marine Corps was like, no, you can't put it here. And then I broke the news that their other idea to put it in Brownfield, the FAA said, no, you can't at all do that. Not only did we give this land to the city based on some certain understandings about how it would be used for uh, flight and stuff, but also you just, you can't have residents in those areas, especially vulnerable uh, homeless individuals. So uh, they have come now with a response. Uh, their idea is to actually, uh, they would, they're they responding to the FAA's concern. They're saying basically the city should just shut down Brownfield, the, the flight operations going on there, just shut them down. That way the FAA wouldn't be involved. Now, as far as the, um, the facilities, the, 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 you know, what they would build, the, the, the camp, uh, that this would still be in the hands of the U.S. Marines. Pitch the the idea is to pitch management of the U.S. Marines uh, and uh, FEMA to get them to build the modular military base like facility. So that that's their again. This is their emergency plan that they would do immediately. Like they say, you could do this now to build this facility. I'm just imagining them do, doing like a Shark Tank, but with homeless housing to the to FEMA and, and the Marines. Right. <laughs> Uh, they, uh, they, they said they were going to increase the shuttles. So, uh, they're going to do more shuttles that they would say like, so that you don't have to feel like you're trapped there. So the fake thing now has more transportation. That's good. (laughs) Yes. So on the question of how they would get people there, they say this, they say, quote, instruct the police and sheriff to begin phasing out homelessness on streets, canyons, and public parks parks and relocate those who are unsheltered to Sunbreak Ranch. For those persons, this is right at the question that we've all had about what about the people who don't want to go. Yeah. For those persons not willing to go to Sunbreak, 
Bus tickets to their home city will be provided. Whether their home is L.A., Denver, New York City, or otherwise, will help them get to where their family and friends support network exists. So now, just to be clear, there is already a bunch of programs that will give you a ticket to get out of here. They, they, that's a very popular thing yeah. for, for like some agencies to do to you know allow people to go because what better way to handle uh, homelessness than to get them on a bus and get out of here. Mm-hmm. But that's their main response to the one big concern about what if people don't want to go to this place. And their answer is they will go or they'll take a bus out of town. And again, that just sort of reinforces like, okay, you're going to, what are you going to do to them to compel them to go to this place? Well, also, I mean, it, it does not answer the third very likely possibility, which is I don't want to go to Sunbreak Ranch. I don't want to get on a bus and, and leave San Diego. What do they do then? That's what I mean. Like, yeah. like they're, they're basically saying like, well, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Or we're gonna do something to them to make them have to go there. I don't know what what where the there's a hole in the logic there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So basically, they're basically saying like we're just gonna we're just gonna take over this uh, brownfield. We're gonna get all the hospitals. We're gonna get all the military. We're gonna get all the city and county. We're gonna get everybody to pitch in to do this. This is much better than H barracks because people don't like them near H barracks. And guess what the uh, here's the quote. H. Barrick's proposal is blatantly seeking a path of extreme resistance and opposition. Brownfield, on the other hand, doesn't have any of those, quote, disqualifying attributes. <laughs> so because nobody's against it, except the federal government, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna then, say. It's, then it's not disqualifying. Yeah. And so, again, the, the, it just reveals that their real dream is to just ship people out, out, into the county and they 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 it's just it's it's so interesting that this has so much traction. Uh so this was written by George Mullen and we got a little bit more information about him. Quote, George Mullen is a barbed wire artist. What what is that? That's actually a, a form of art that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. I must say. You know and 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 I really wish another thing I'm very passionate about as you guys may already know is is vexillology which yes. is the study of flags. Yes. And I would just Deeply, I just wish there was some artist out there that would meld these two passions of mine: barbed wire art and vexillology or flags. And unfortunately, well, Jacob, I have just some great news for you. Uh, George has a whole barbed wire making flags thing. So it's a, it's a, no it's a, yeah, it's flags made made out of a canvas, but with barbed wire. I, I'm. I'm blown away. (laughs) Andrea, you and I uh, attended the State of the City Address. It's kind of our thing now, right? It is. It is our thing, yeah. Um, I enjoy it. uh, Seeing all the people. We were the unofficial welcoming. Yeah, we were forced um, into the aisle, so people had to walk (laughs) past us and... um, uh, either avoid us or engage. Yes, with the most chose to engage. <laughs> Some chose to avoid. <laughs> um, you know who you are. <laughs> so I got to say, this state of the state, I've been to many of them now over these 19 years, yeah. and this is this is the this was the best as far as the coordination between the screen behind the man. And the man's speech. Mm-hmm. 
the uh, the PowerPoint was On excellent. Point. The choreography, the it was, power, re- it was reactive. It I was, saw it was PowerPoint choreography. Yeah, and it was perfectly done. There was one moment where he's like, "We got to do something about the housing situation. We got to." Build more homes. And then as he says it, it's like, bam, bam, bam. Uh, How long do you think homes. they spent rehearsing that? That's what I want to say. When when that, I can't help but picture that when they pulled that off, <laughs> when it was build more homes, I can picture these two staffers sitting in the little room that had pushed the buttons and they're like giving each other fives. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, we nailed it. We were Imagine, sitting behind those guys. <laughs> yeah. Imagine accidentally pressing the click button one too many times and you pass the build more homes and you just totally like. No, they nailed that. That yeah. was good. It was, good. It was a good I, show. I got to say, this was the most alive I've ever seen Todd Gloria. Uh, I, I thought he was, he's tapped into something that he hadn't before. There's, there's a, there was a, a verve, uh, a joie de vivre <laughs> that I hadn't seen before. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a pretty good uh, version of this stuff. Now, now we'll go about doing what we do and, and poking apart some of it. <laughs> but let's get that on the, on the record. And there was no part of it that, was, uh, that he was more animated about than, uh, than the sort of polar presentation he made. Right, which was a everything is awesome. We've accomplished a lot. Yeah, and B, uh, we gotta we gotta we gotta get rid of the bad people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we gotta do things to stop the bad people. That sounds like a a, a little kids version of how they would explain Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's what it was, but those were the vibes of the of the speech, right? Those are the vibes. Um, I gotta say, like of the, all the things you know, we talk about and predict and we expect. I did not expect mention of Target and plexiglass and the toothpaste that it you know yeah. prevents you from just grabbing. Well, freely. let's get into that. So, probably the biggest news of the night, in our opinion, my opinion was uh, that he has taken a, a sort of new stand, at least from what I know about him, about Proposition 47. Now, remember, Proposition 47 was the law that uh, was uh, an initiative, so passed by the public. So to do anything about it, you have to have another public vote about it. So it was supported by former uh, police chief Bill Lansdowne. And it was the, the idea, remember back uh, several years ago, the Prisons were overcrowded. There was a big move against mass incarceration. And the idea was to take some of these low-level offenses, turn them from felonies to misdemeanors, use some of the savings from putting people in jail to fund community programs and otherwise change the cycle of criminality Mm -hmm. into something better. Now, since then, uh, this is what Todd Gloria's new take is about what happened. However, since it's been implemented, we have seen criminals exploit these reforms, leading to organized networks of career thieves ransacking stores with little to no consequence. These are not crimes of poverty. These are criminal enterprises gaming the limits set under Prop 47 and making a cottage industry out of retail theft. And while San Diego hasn't been hit as hard by these theft rings as other California cities, we're all still paying the price both at the cash register and in time and convenience. 
You shouldn't have to flag down a Target employee to unlock a plexiglass cabinet just so you can get a tube of toothpaste. We should be. You got to be able to grab your toothpaste. Uh, I haven't seen the toothpaste behind a, a wall. Have you? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, at the Target in Mission Valley. Okay. It's toothpaste, deodorant, like shaving stuff. Oh, okay. You know which uh, which medicine. it it does seem to me like those are basic necessities, and if somebody is stealing because of poverty, that's the kind of stuff would <laughs> they, would, they would steal. Yeah, a hundred percent. So the the Republicans, the conservatives in California, have been making this basic argument for now 10 years. Yes. And their point has been like a shorthand for how badly things have gone under progressive leadership in the state, that we were lenient on criminals. Uh, we don't public, uh, really prosecute these low-level crimes and thus uh, this pervasive open-air drug markets and just lawlessness has occurred. It's like the core Republican argument right now about yeah. California, right? Uh -huh. And so that's what's so interesting about him saying that is that mm -hmm. he he uh, he's now part of that. I mean, and it's not only Republicans. Like, you know, I've been to lots of community meetings, um, and it's certainly something that police officers always bring up, even community members themselves, the way it does translate, like, the thing that, you know, the normies absorb in their brain. Right. It's like Prop 47 has just made it so that if there's somebody smoking crack on the sidewalk and I'm a police officer, there's absolutely nothing I can do about that. And that's the situation that we're in. Um, I mean, we wrote about in the morning report, the El Cajon Police Department released a documentary on, you know, what it's like for their officers who go out and try to, you know, offer services to homeless individuals. And uh, one of the police officers told Fox 5, um, you know, that Prop 47 has really just like stopped them from or prevented them from doing their jobs. That, that's, that's been the core argument. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, you can still prosecute misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can like there's that's still a crime. Yeah. And you yeah. can. And so there's the, been this disconnect that I've honestly never reconciled. We've tried to research it. We've talked to judges and everything. What is the disconnect between you can still prosecute them, but they're not? Because they're just like, well, it's a waste of time. They're just going to go and get their wrist slapped or something. But what Gloria went even further and said that he will now support any initiative that would reform this. And I've heard that the California Retailers Association are putting together a ballot initiative that would change Prop uh, 47. Hmm. The governor has put forward his own proposal that would come short of actually changing Prop 47, but would um, change some other angles that are similar so there, uh, there is. Th this was a big thing for him to come up, but I think it has the like you. I think you said Republicans mm -hmm. and others have used this, but uh, him and others like him, if they start embracing it, that could be interesting. Yeah, like if this is a thing that a certain specific group, Republicans, police officers, whoever. They've used this to say, look at how crappy the situation is. It's they, because of this thing. And lo look at where we're at because of this thing. And if then you have other people from the other side, uh, Democrats or whatever, supporting and saying, you're right. Yeah, let's get rid of this thing. And so then you get rid of the thing. It's like, what can you point to to say, this is why things are so crappy? Yeah, if things <laughs> you don't, lose your thing. If things don't immediately improve, then they'll, they'll have to be a shorthand for something else. It's yeah. like they've, they've leaned on it so much now that if it's taken away, it'll be really interesting to see what they... I'm sure they'll be able to find something yeah. else. But yeah, it was a really it was a really interesting moment 
uh, for him. And that was clearly what he was most animated by. But it, it kind of contrasted with the other main theme of the speech, which is like, we are cooking at the city of San Diego. Yeah. We are doing some great stuff. Like it was just a, the f- first, what, 30, 20 minutes mm-hmm. was just a stream of how great he and his staff and the employees underneath them have been, right? Yeah, potholes filled. <clears throat> yeah, let's get into that. So this came out, uh, this was one of his points about uh, the streets. In 2023, our crews filled 61,305 potholes. A 94% increase over the prior year and an astonishing 122% increase over 2021. Absolutely incredible. It's really funny to me to imagine like a street worker just checking off on a piece of paper. All right, another pothole today. And that they, was 60,000. They, they, they tally them all up at the end of the day, you know? I got to say, like, we talk about how sometimes with these types of speeches, um, it's easy to throw out a stat, but if you don't have the thing to compare it to, then, like, it's just kind of a stat, Yeah, I got to right? give a shout out to Andy Keats for that. Yes. I think his one of his foundational observations was, like, when you have these, these numbers mm-hmm. alone, like, they sound big. But is it big? Like, how many potholes are there? If there's 70,000 potholes and you filled 61,000 of them, great job. But if there's a million of them and you filled 61,000 of them, then that's not enough. Yeah. I would also like to know the specifications of a pothole. What qualifies as a pothole? How big does it have to be? Are they just like going around and dropping a little bit of like slurry seal? It's like porn. You know it when you see it. Okay. (laughs) So um, after the speech, I saw this Instagram post by the city of San Diego and they did a reel with um, a city employee who is in charge of you know, filling the potholes and stuff. And they're, he's just kind of talking and he's like, you know, we filled this many potholes. And um, he's like, but like San Diego had an irregular, really rainy season. So there was just more potholes. And I was like, wait, <laughs> so you're saying like there was just more potholes and that's why you filled more potholes or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Stats. And and then there's, there's a lot of potholes out there still. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you can drive on some streets. Now, that's the other thing he did. He listed a bunch of streets with it. He was like, and then Claremont Mesa Boulevard. The and Torrey Point was, that was yeah, I, I was I was getting out of breath just listening it to was, him. It was a great moment. But yeah. it was like, there's a lot of streets. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so about the, one of the things we, we, we talked about the same thing last year about this, like numbers that kind of without context, you don't know. So this time he he gave an update. Last year was he said like, we got 5,000 housing permits. And it took us like a month for some reason to look at that number and see if it was good. And the number was like mediocre for many years, <laughs> like 5,000. Again, sounds like a lot. That's 5,000 things happening, which is more than zero. But, you know, in the whole context of the history of San Diego, wasn't that many housing permits. Yeah. So he had an update to that. All in all, based on our preliminary calculations, The city of San Diego last year issued roughly 8,000 new housing permits, an impressive increase of more than 50% over the 5,300 homes we permitted in 2022. And we're not done yet. 
I intend to build on that progress. Today, I have signed a new executive order requiring permit applications that fall under our Complete Communities Program to be reviewed and permitted within 30 days. What so, has taken you know, you gotta be a you gotta be hardcore to to cheer permits. Like, you know, I, I will say, I was just thinking about this. It's hard to not like clap when you hear other people clapping. I almost yeah. just instantaneously burst out into applause just hearing them clap. Yeah. It's infectious. It's like a yawn. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, it's like 8,000 per... Hell yeah! Woo! Let's go! You're not as miserable as we are, Jacob. Yeah. I just sat there. <laughs> what about employee morale? Another big a- applause line was that the employees are less miserable. <laughs> employees are happy. Well, it was funny because you said this is the first year, right? This is they- the first year when they <laughs> did a survey where they're not miserable in yeah. a while. Like... <laughs> that's very, that's very it makes me worry for all the previous then, fantastic but then they he said that they had a job fair right a, yeah and they expected like eh, 300 people are going to come and ask for jobs and really it was like 3,000 people that came yeah. to this job fair like is it because they want to work at the city or because they like they need a job well it, again it was another thing there was a whole bunch of stuff about how attractive the place is to work how good things are going, how many permits are going out, how many roads are getting paved, mm-hmm. uh, all of this stuff lining up together. But it was it's hard because the place is still kind of a mess, right? Like walking there from our office, which isn't far away, like there was, you know, there was a lot of people struggling on the streets and in between there. And, you know, just a couple yeah, of weeks. The, the streets they're struggling on probably look a lot better. Not really. <laughs> and not at all, actually. And, you know, I, just uh, two weeks ago, we were cleaning up the softball fields, you know, and and there was a, you know, I, 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 there was a big mess in one of the dugouts and I sweep out there and there's this, there was a, a, a glass pipe and, you know, it was a little sharp edge. I'm like, boy, I'm glad, you know, a kid didn't pick this up and we take care of it. Yeah. And then it was, uh, you walked over and there was a, Rob Field is where they keep all the Christmas trees where you can dump them, you know, and and they'll be recycled. And there was a whole bunch that had been pulled over by the snack shack. And uh, we were like, why are they? And then we looked and he said that people were burning them because it was so cold. Like they they were burning them to stay warm. And it's just like, oh, this is just a, the the bathrooms in public areas are still just horrific. Like it's just, there's a lot of streets that are kind of a mess. And it's just, it's like, it's hard to listen to somebody so positive yeah. and full of all this like great feeling about the city. And I think there are legitimate accomplishments going on. I think compared to last year, he has taken an approach that really is making a dent, I think, in a way that wasn't before in, in at least the homelessness crisis. But uh, it it's it's bad out there. And I don't know that the speech like really matched how bad it is with the recognition of how bad it is right mm-hmm. it, and i it i it was e- it would be easy to leave that thinking things are going well and then just be confronted with oh yeah like eh. well, how much of the dent that's being made do you think is due to just an increased feeling of urgency and how much is due to this change in tactics which as we've talked ad nauseum about has been much more of a, of an enforcement sort of style, much more of this, as we heard in the state of the city, much more of this law and order 
you know, tough on crime sort of thing that was really uncharacteristic for for Todd for many years. Well, he did the same thing he did last year, which mm-hmm. was homelessness is horrible. We we sympathize with you, but you can't if there is an option or a home, if there's a shelter option, you cannot be on the street anymore. And he made that point like that was another one of his like really into that moment, you know, moments. And he I think that they did set up safe camping spots in Balboa Park, and those are almost filled. And that does mean that people have shifted where they were to there. I think there's more of that sort of thing going on. And I think he pointed out, look, we've only arrested one person under this law. By the way, I'd like to hear that story. We might look into that. Like, who was the one person that actually arrested. ended up getting arrested? Really interesting, yeah. And and then hundreds, though, have because of the law been encouraged and taken shelter. So there's probably something going along with that. And he pointed out that sixty percent fewer tents downtown, according to the downtown partnership census. Now that's a census that was skyrocketing after his uh, uh, taking office, and so now coming down sixty percent. That's not nothing. Like obviously, there's something going on there. Now, whether they're just dispersing and hiding in canyons more or whether they really are finding shelter or or not, that's that, that's a huge part of this this whole thing. So I do think there's there is there has been a shift. Mm. Whether it's a, whether it's enough, whether it does meet the urgency that I would kind of say needs to be done or something, I'm not sure. But um but there was a shift. It felt different this year. You know, there was one interesting moment for me where he, Todd Gloria mentioned that they had more than doubled shelter capacity. Yeah. Uh, and it was so interesting because at the end of that sentence, he said, since April 1st, you know, 2021, which as we know from our Will Huntsbury's reporting was this moment that he had selected in the past when touting how much shelter they'd created specifically because at that moment, shelter capacity was at sort of this artificial low because so much of it was COVID. closed over the pandemic. Yeah. And, and it is interesting, you know, I, I, one of the reasons why, you know, Andy's insight about, about numbers out of context don't mean anything is, is present in that sort of statistic in that fact, right? So much of this are just numbers and without that context, it, you might as well be speaking Latin. Right. You want to, and I, it was funny, we were walking back from the, the speech and I was, I was making that point and I was like, you, you really can't do that if you're touting. And then I realized like I do it all the time. Like we raised, <laughs> we raised $300,000 and everybody's like, well, okay, well, how much did you need? Well, I needed 3 million or something. It's like, and it's, it's a natural thing to do to just tout all the things you have done and not really focus on if there's 600 miles of roads that they've paved or fixed, they say, well, how many miles went bad, right? Or how many more mm-hmm. miles are there in the city? It's, it's just not easy for us to comprehend that. And, and that's a feature of the way he talks and presents things, but it's also where we could do some digging. It's yeah. the state of the city. Well, uh, you, you know, don't start with yeah, I don't dark, go to the, scary stuff. And, <laughs> I don't go to the member coffee and talk about, well, you know, things are boy, shady. this is a rough week. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's trying to be a cheerleader for the city and it's hard to do that it's when hard. you when you go up and say we have we have uh, dealt with 5% of the bad roads in this city. Come on, guys. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, like I want a little spice. I mean, I got some spice, I think, this year more than last year. Um, with the, you know, his position on Prop 47, but 
I don't know. I'm just like hungry for some spice. I think the most spicy, and this is an old theme of mine, but the most spicy thing you can do sometimes is like show a little bit of vulnerability. Show that like a little 100%. bit that you did, that you don't feel good about something you did, but you're working to redeem this or that. Yeah. Or that this this didn't work very well, but we're going to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it, that. that's where people come along. And I don't know why people don't tap into that more often because- that would be fun. That would be a, that would be a guy that you can trust a little bit. Speaking of uh, not wanting to show vulnerability, the San Diego Unified School District <laughs> has never been one to really talk about things that are going wrong. And they're always excited to talk about things that are going right, like graduation rates. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That was, graduation rates are going pretty right right now. Yeah, graduation rates are going well. Um, we once uh, quoted and talked a lot about Cindy Martin, the former superintendent of San Diego Unified, who said, uh, what's happening at Lincoln High School is at the heart of the struggle in America. When we get Lincoln right, we get America right. Now, you did a story this week sort of checking in on things there. And there was a really interesting juxtaposition of of data. What was that? Yeah. So you know, I I I I've long been interested in Lincoln, not only because it's a story that has it's a school that has just a really storied past, is incredibly important to the community, but also, I mean, Cindy Martin isn't entirely wrong. Uh, education is rife with these sorts of um, inequalities and inequities that that we see across society. Um, that being said, I mean, it's it's still a hilarious quote because it takes like all personal responsibility out of it as an educator and as, as an administrator. Um, but, but that being said, you know, I, l- l- even my grandpa went to Lincoln, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I do care about this school and especially schools that are, that are having a hard time. They, they are the ones that we most need to check in on. Um, so I, I did some checking in on it. Uh, w- what I saw was, was pretty, pr- pretty distressing. Um, you know, if you just look at test scores, which, you know, many educators have a million and one reasons why you shouldn't pay attention to test scores and that's fine. But at the end of the day, it's one of the only kind of solid metrics that we have to understand what kids, how kids are learning. Um, and what we saw there is not, is not great. So for the past two years, about 3% of Lincoln's juniors, only juniors take, take state standardized tests, met state math standards. That, that comes out to about 11 kids out of over 320 in that school meeting state math standards. Yeah, and that's like the proficiency level of math yeah. at, that, at that grade. Yeah. It's not, you know, 11% of like are hitting like A's or whatever. This is like the basic level of proficiency. Yeah, and you said percent there, 11 students. That's right. Yeah, right. so it's it truly is a, a shocking statistic, especially when you keep in mind that in the 2022-2023 school year, 3.42% of Lincoln students met state math standards. The district average was 43%. So they are they are performing forty percent below the district average, mm-hmm. uh, and, and English scores are are similarly low, but but not to that degree, right? So last year, uh, about twenty three percent of Lincoln students met, met state uh, math standards, while about fifty four percent of uh, of students district wide. So you look at these scores, and you understand that these scores have decreased over the past six, seven years since before the pandemic, which is not surprising. I mean, that happened across the district, across the country, really. 
Um, but what hasn't decreased over that same period of time is graduation rates. And in fact, graduation rates have almost uniformly increased. Um, you know, the, the one difference is that during the 2020-2021 school year, uh, Lincoln's graduation rate was actually at its highest. It was at about 89%. And that was because for that school year, uh, the, the district, like many throughout the, the, the state, uh, decreased graduation requirements, decreased the minimum GPA required, decreased the number of credits needed, uh, and then went back to previous standards, which caused the the graduation rate to drop a bit, but it's steadily increased since then. And so while uh, test scores have decreased from the 2016 to 2017 school year to now, it, the uh, graduation rate has increased from about 77% to about 85%. And, and what's kind of the most shocking thing here is while on metrics like math test scores, Lincoln is performing 40% below. 40 percentage points. So it's 40 even percentage like more points. dramatic. Yes, yeah. exactly. 40 percentage points below the district. Its graduation rate is only about a point and a half below the district average. Yeah. So you, I think, look at that and have a natural reaction. was like, how, this, how can this be? How, yeah. can, how can they be graduating at the same rate as other folks when their proficiency level is so much yeah. worse? Mm-hmm. And and that's not creating some kind of like moral panic about what what do we what are we going to do? Yeah. And if you are letting people graduate without minimum sort of you know uh, accomplishment as far as understanding things, what are you actually doing? Like, yeah. What are we? How are we serving them? And their answers weren't very satisfying. No, I you know that's the most frustrating part about this story is that I set out to try and figure out why there's this total disconnect between these two things. And I feel like at the end of it, I still don't really know. And, and so that tells me that there's a lot more work to do that I, that I plan on doing. There were kind of two major responses, right? You got the the principals, which had, there's co-principals of Lincoln High School and they had a take. And then there's sort of the politician take. Yeah, so so school board members, uh, Sharon Whitehurst-Payne, whose sub-district includes Lincoln, and, and um, Richard Barrera, who is kind of the unofficial spokesperson for, for the school board, um, they both kind of poo-pooed uh, test scores, right? And and there is some truth to what they say in that test scores can often be biased, but again, it's one of the only kind of uh, solid measuring sticks that we have. Um, and so for them, you know, they say um, uh, there are more important things than test scores. You know, you got to look at the grades that kids are getting in high school. You got to look at how they're doing in college when they graduate. And you have to look at graduation rates. You can even look though at readiness. There's a measurement for that, right? There is. Yeah. And, and Lincoln is underperforming even the, the state average, which is also below the district average. It's a whole other set of numbers that we don't have to get into right now. Um, but you know, when you hear somebody tell you, don't look at those numbers, look at this other number like graduation rates that that is conflicting with this other basic measuring stick, it's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that. Uh, and, and the principals uh, who are just the latest in a long line of people who have kind of um, come into Lincoln with the district's sort of approval to try and, and help kids at a school that's long been struggling – um, th- they didn't provide a whole lot of insight, but one of the things that they did say that I think can probably explain some of what's happening here is that they're working hard with credit recovery programs. Now, what that means is, let's say I'm a junior and uh, I'm going into my senior year and, it, and I failed a couple classes, I've missed another one. Um, 
oftentimes, you know, school officials will work proactively to try and ensure that I get back into those classes that I may have failed or take a, a summer school course to, to make up a class that I didn't take. And so I, I have no doubt that that's part of what's happening here, right? Some kids are maybe failing a class and, and catching up potentially a little bit. But again, the, the degree of disparity between um, Lincoln's scores and the district average says to me that that can't be making up for everything. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty normal in these circumstances for the district to to like dismiss bad test scores. That happens yeah. pretty regularly. And Barrera's was the most sort of vociferous version of that, like yeah. the most full version of like not only do they 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 don't count or they don't measure things appropriately. They're actually biased, and they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. These kids shouldn't be expected to mm-hmm. do well on these tests, which is. You know, it's there's a, obviously a lot to debate about whether a math test is is biased or not. But mm-hmm. I think that the the what belies that though is that when there's good test scores in the district, they put <laughs> out press releases. They're the first ones to pat themselves on yeah, the back. Yeah, I was just sure. I just looked at one that San Diego Unified District students outperform peers in state, nation, and big city. When it's good or when things increase, they love it. They're happy to point to test scores. When the test scores go down, they're like, "Oh, those don't matter." Yeah, those yeah. Are when not when results aren't 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 don't make them you know look good or feel good, then they have a million and one excuses for why they don't matter. Yeah. But when they do look good and feel good, hey, look at these test scores. <laughs> we did so good on the tests. Well, it's it was a great piece. I think one of the interesting parts was just how you introed it. You were at a a meeting, right? Yeah, I was at. I've been going to uh, Lincoln Cluster uh, meetings for for a bit now. And I'd already sort of seen, you know, some of these these numbers, but hadn't really figured out how to how to how to approach this. Um, I went to a Lincoln cluster meeting, and actually, the the co principals of Lincoln were there to present data and information about the school. And uh, for much of the meeting, they they talked about kind of the programmatic changes that are happening there, whether it's community schools or transitioning from. I think that the you know, I'd included it in an earlier draft because it was just funny in how, you know, uh, uh, and how jargony it was. They were transitioning from a project-based learning approach to an inquiry-based learning approach, which mm-hmm. is like, I have inquiries about what that means. But, but um, <laughs> so they spend all of this time work talking about this stuff, which is important. I mean, community-based schools a community schools approach could really help kids like Lincoln who are, who are disproportionately, you know, uh, socioeconomically disadvantaged. But at the same time, you know, they took forever on, on, on all of this information. And by the time, you know, they, they got to the data showing how kids were doing, they had just a couple minutes. And, and when they put on these, these um, slides of test scores, it was the tiniest little font you could ever imagine. I couldn't read anything from the back of the room, but speaking to, to a, a someone who else, someone else who attended, who was sitting right up front, neither could she. And, and she was kind of the person who really allowed me to understand how, how crazy that was. Right. She was like, I, I've been to a lot of these, uh, these presentations and I've never seen somebody bring data that I literally could not read while sitting in the front row. Sounds like they need help with their PowerPoints. I think yeah. we know a guy. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are 
Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Well, I've seen several proposals over the years of different ways that the governance at the San Diego Unified could change yeah. um, and how it could be improved. There was a proposal, ah, like 15 years ago maybe, to add school board members who would be appointed by uh, a group of, of experts in the community, university leaders, business mm. leaders, and the mayor. And they would add, so there would be elected members of the school board, and then there would be these 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 experts. Huh. And they would, you know, combine to run the school district. Uh, that didn't even get on the ballot. Um, there was a, a scandal about why, but we won't get into that. Uh, and and now there does seem to be some movement to change a different way uh, how the governance of the school district works. So uh, school board members, there's up five for the city of San Diego for the San Diego Unified. Yeah, but five, there's also five elected by registered. There's voters. also student uh, representatives. They get to sit up there and and make comments, but they don't get to vote. Yes. So um, San Diego Unified, a couple years ago now, maybe four or five years ago, uh, created a student board member position. And they've since updated and made some changes. Now they have two student board members, uh, one of which has to um, uh, come from a Title I school. And those those student board members are elected by their peers. Uh, And recently, you know, a law was was signed into law that uh, paid those student board members. That's something they'd been pushing for. And so they're getting about $1,700 a month now to do that work, which, you know, bravo to them and also college credit. Um, But that uh, that doesn't really go far enough for some of them. What they really want is full voting rights. Right now they have preferential votes, which is basically like a. I suggest that you vote for this, right? It doesn't count towards the final vote tally at all. And that's that's been very frustrating to some of these student board members, one of whom was Zachary, Zachary Patterson, who was the original student board member. Um, and You, you know, might ba- remember if you're fans of the podcast or, you know, me, I had him on a couple of times during COVID. Oh, to, nice. No way. To talk about... Um, what it was like to be a, a high school student during that period. Yeah, he's a really, really smart kid. Oh, yeah, he's now yeah. over at Duke. Um, but, you know, I, I first started thinking about this when I did a piece a little while back about how over the past, I can't even remember how many, multiple years, San Diego Unified's board had, had voted unanimously in almost every single vote. And over those past couple of years, only one thing had not passed the board. 
And that was Zachary Patterson's resolution to support this law that would, among other things, have allowed student board members to vote. So it was very interesting, you know, that this the one thing that didn't pass was this this change to how the board would operate. And so now, you know, once they've now that they've got over the hump of this this getting paid thing, they really want to set their sights on trying to get a full vote. Uh, you know, it's interesting to to see where the kind of lines in in this battle have kind of fallen to Richard Brera, for example, is super duper in favor of it. And um, at this this recent meeting announcing that, um, you know, student board members would, would now be paid, he compared the disenfranchisement um, and the, uh, you know, expectation that student board members would have to prove that they're competent to, to take part in this democratic process to you know, the disenfranchisement of, of, you know, black people and women in the past. I mean, he's very, very animatedly for this. Um, meanwhile, other board members uh, who are still on the board, like Sabrina Bazo, flatly said they didn't think this was a good idea for a, a variety of reasons, um, including that, you know, potentially a student board member who goes to, let's say, Lincoln, for just for example, and um, <clears throat> the adult board member who represents Lincoln could potentially conspire to get undue influence for Lincoln's benefit. Uh, you know, again, just an example, um, lots of strange reasons. Um, but this seems to be the kind of the next place that student board members want, hmm. want progress to be made. You, and, and Zachary actually is still working on it. He founded an, a national organization that advises and supports student board members and they're looking to to make it make uh, progress on this yeah i think uh i was saying earlier i think that this would have been something that me as a student i would have been like <laughs> all about been like, give me rights yeah. my voice this would have been a student civil rights issue for and, you and now i'm approaching 50 and i'm like ah Get out of here, kids. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Were you um, into policy at that age? No, oh. I was such a bad student, but I would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it would have been good if I had thought about being good. How good you are at if explaining had, if, it, if it had occurred to me to try hard and really work on it, I would have, yeah. I should have. It just didn't occur to me that that would be something to dedicate attention to, like succeeding and being part of it. You, I think this is this is like kind of a classic. You're not able to get a lot of solid answers. Richard Barrera is the you call him the de facto spokesperson for the San Diego Unified School District. He's that way because he says things. He, he's he's willing to say things definitively, and he's for it. But you try to get a couple of other people on the record, and it's just a, it's you got to slalom through some, some yeah uh, yeah some different so, takes. So at this press event, you know, I tried to. There was Sharon Whitehurst-Payne who had who had voted uh, against this resolution to support that law about, about a couple of years ago, um, and Richard and I kind of tried to get both of them on the record to see if they would support this this push to get to get voting rights now that now that kids were getting paid, and um, you know both Lamont and 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 Richard interjected to 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 basically say that you know the board is in favor of this, but I'm not speaking for all board members, which is just a funny, you know, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> exercise in logic. Um, you said Lamont, you meant Richard? Or? Lamont and Richard kind oh, of okay. both interjected. So Lamont, right? you're talking about Lamont Jackson. Lamont the, Jackson, the superintendent. superintendent of San Diego Unified. Um, and, and, you know, regardless of if the board gets on board with this, um, there are a lot of things to figure out. Yeah. I mean, the, the main 
the main argument for this is that is that students can't vote for their own board. At least the vast majority of students can't vote for their own board members because they're not 18. Yeah. Um, so having people that they elect that can properly or more fully represent their voice on the board seems important to them. But there are technicalities like the fact that there are high school students who are 18. I think and- the, th- the first thing that comes to my mind that would be concerned. Yeah, it's true. There's, there are 18 year olds who can vote. So they may end up be, being double enfranchised. In this, but if this you're one sixth of the leadership at that point, or one seventh of the leadership at that point at the school board, you would be a very powerful person. And unions and contractors and labor groups and businesses and reformers and charter schools and others would be like very interested in helping your campaign. Yeah. And you'd immediately go from being a 16 year old, 17 year old to being a guy having to run and represent an actual like fully funded campaign like that goes through to, to schools and then the campaign materials that go to like students. There's a whole just... Imagine bevy that, of of questions. Imagine to that, like a, an ASB campaign that's supported by like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, like <laughs> I know, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like the kind of forget about the glitter posters. <laughs> the kind of misinformation, the yeah. TikTok, the snap. I mean, whoa! Like yeah. you're talking about a really strange world of of grown up problems there, which is fine. Maybe that's what we want them to experience, but. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, and you know, I I, I think it's definitely there are big questions, not least of which is the fact that you know there needs to be a state law that would allow this yeah. first off, and secondly that there would need to be a, a change to the city charter to allow this as well, um, because the 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 board is chartered with with you know the city, um, but I, I think it's an interesting thing to follow, and if it did pass, I would love to cover that first election. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego, where we made predictions about the state of the city that were incorrect. I predicted that he would talk about tax increase and maybe break some news about a big development, but all he did was announce that he wanted to rename a street after Peter Seidler. No big breaking news about one of the big projects going forward in the city. It's the most popular public affairs podcast that made predictions about the state of the city that weren't true like that. If you have a question or comment for our podcast crew, you can send an email or voice message to our producer, Nate John. Send those to nate at vosd.org. That's nate at vosd.org. You want some mail, huh? Yeah. All right. (laughs) Make him happy, guys. Your questions may be featured in a future episode. Sign up for our newsletters at VOST.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafine is our managing editor. Jacob McQuinney is our education reporter. Nate John is our expert, excellent, and very nice, if sometimes direct, producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.